This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 163 here in the den. Nick Max and Noah Grant here to bring you this week's show here recording on Tuesday, May 23rd, just after 7 o'clock in the evening. Of course, Dallas and Vegas just getting underway with Game 3, so obviously keeping an eye on that. The NHL third round will be a topic of discussion in the main portion of the show, and it's been a close third round, but it also hasn't. It it's kind of crazy how the hockey gods work sometimes. So we'll obviously talk about that. Uh, crazy how, I guess, the hockey general managing gods work as well, too. Kyle Dubas out in Toronto. Um, is Brendan Shanahan a god or is he just playing god? I think that's the question we're maybe going to. Uh, maybe going back to his Department of Player Safety days, is what it <laughs> sounds like to me. Well, not like they were all that great, to be honest with you. Um, We've, you, you caught the similarities there. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I've been known to to put one and one equaling two every now and again. I'm not a math guy, not my strong suit, but sometimes I get there. Blind pig finds a truffle every now and again. I, what has been crazy, though, uh, the World Cup, uh, we are getting ready for the yeah. middle round. That will be decided this week. How we got here was a little bit surprising, and some countries making some names for themselves that normally really don't on the international stage when it comes to hockey. So uh, we'll obviously discuss that in the main portion of the show as well. And then the extra ice session. I don't know if anybody heard, but it's been a week in Arizona down uh, in the desert. So yeah. I, th- I think we might have to talk about that as well, too. We start. Okay. As always, with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. few news and notes here noah as my voice apparently has to change octaves in the middle of a sentence um speaking of changing <laughs> octaves i mean um, you're, you're not like the sopranos yeah. where you cut to black no. in mid-sentence i mean no, that's... thank gosh that's that'd be a diff- oh geez um i've tried that a couple of times didn't work very well it would uh, make our show significantly shorter though i will say that i mean workload would be and probably better if i wasn't part of it but you know <laughs> um but speaking of trying to be better or shall we say make the nhl better we continue to follow the uh, the developments on the ottawa senators bidding front and apparently there are still four finalists um so let's kind of recap where we're at uh last week we discussed that the group that was including ryan reynolds 
uh, failed to essentially secure a exclusive negotiating window. So they essentially were out. But here are the final four that could be majorities, right? We have Michael, is it and Lauer, Steve mm-hmm. Apostopoulos, uh, Michael Kimmel, and Nico Sparks, right? Uh, one of the bids, although it's not been disclosed which one has been uh, valued to exceed a billion dollars, the senators themselves have been valued at $800 million. This is US for those maybe who are listening across the border. Uh, a couple of things about these remaining four. Um, and Lauer um, is a Montreal Canadiens minority owner, who also owns the Ontario Hockey Leeds Brantford Bulldogs. Uh, Apostopoulos reportedly bid $6 billion uh, to try to purchase the NFL's Washington Commanders and finally getting rid of Dan Snyder. That was great either way. Um, <laughs> we later sold it to New Jersey Devils and Philadelphia 76ers owner Josh Harris, so wasn't able to secure um, that sports franchise there. Now his hat is in the ring here with the Ottawa Senators big. Uh, the Kimballs were also a Toronto area billionaires and former Pittsburgh Penguins minority owners. Uh, who originally sold their stake in the club. Uh, Canadian singer The Weeknd is also part of this bid. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Sparks, right? This is probably you know another intriguing name. Um, LA-based uh, entrepreneur, CEO, and producer. And he's aiming to be the first ever black owner in NHL history. Now, this is where Snoop Dogg has joined in the bidding process as part of this group. It wants to offer First Nations communities equity stakes in the team. So uh, we continue to follow this. And apparently, uh, reporting is they're getting close to finalizing the sale, but still four names in the bidding process yeah it's been kind of a crazy little setup right i mean and you think about where we've come with the ottawa senators as well too uh i don't even know if there's a group that really stands out right i I think that you have you know in in this process it usually feels like there's one guy who's going to be the front runner one group that you feel like i mean is there anybody to you that you feel like really stands out in this process or has it truly been it's Just, it's been kind of weird, right? Because for the longest time we heard Ryan Reynolds, he was the guy, right? And then uh, more names jumped in. And mind you, these are pretty recent developments, right? Uh, for these folks coming in. Uh, and so to me, the, the name that's been thrown around quite a bit has been uh, Apostopoulos uh, and Ann Lauer. Uh, again, Ann Lauer having uh, essentially being part owner already, with an NHL franchise and the Canadians. Um, there's been some rallies too with the Kimmels who are Toronto area natives. So they're in the Ontario province. Um, they've got plenty of cash, right? Also former minority leaders, as we discussed uh, before. And then you have sparks again, you know, with that group of Snoop Dogg. Um, I'm not sure. It, and we talked about this before, right? The NHL, this is a great problem to have. You've got intrigue on multiple different fronts. You've got, uh, different bids who have previous NHL ownership experience. Um, so what does the NHL want more than money, right? Um, that's the key because the NHL, unfortunately, in years past has gone with the higher paycheck. You kind of wonder with the Ottawa Senators and some of the star power, like we mentioned the weekend and Snoop Dogg being parts of separate mm-hmm. bids, whether there's some intrigue in marketing that they want to tap into. I want to say that the NHL will drop the ball there because their marketing, as we know, has been terrible in years past. But I hope they make the right decision. Um, I know that stability is number one, especially as we'll talk later in the show with the Arizona Coyotes dealings. Uh, But you kind of wonder, too, if stability and also some brand marketing can't be a a group package. So you kind of wonder 
with the Sparks and then also the Toronto natives where the weekend's part of the Kimmels. You wonder if that maybe stands out in the eyes of the NHL just a little bit. But I don't think there's a real clear front runner here, Noah. Well, it has to be a viable plan, right? Uh, let's yeah. <laughs> reference another organization that does not have a clear and viable plan at this current point in time. Uh, nope see how these things go i mean ottawa obviously a little bit better foothold i think in the, the canadian market that they're in but i mean it's not necessarily a, a firm grasp i mean we talked about that during the melnick leadership i i think in summation i uh, what really brought me to this point of whoever it is it's going to be exciting actually this actually comes from snoop dogg's instagram and i just i thought it was too good not to share um but this kind of encapsulates i think where we're at it's been a while since we've had this kind of personality in the National Hockey League. Yeah. What up, though? It's your boy, Big Snoop Dogg, giving a shout-out to the First Nations of Canada. That's right, for joining Nico Sparks in the Ottawa Senators' bid. We're trying to do something. We're trying to make a difference. I mean, it's official like a referee with a whistle. We all together. We're trying to make it better. We just need y'all to hit the lever and give us control. Ottawa Senators, what y'all want to do? We're here. Let's go. I love it, actually. I, I do, I do too. And, and I mean, it, it's classic on-brand Snoop Dogg, like totally. But I thought the thing that was cool, I mean, there was some thought into that. You look at, for those who are watching on the YouTube feed, I, I mean, the World Cup of Hockey was in the background. It wasn't even, I mean, it was the Sweden game that was going on as well, too. I mean, like, you know, little things like that, that, I mean, say what you want about Snoop Dogg. And like I said, you know, you look at Snoop and you're not necessarily like, oh my gosh, like here's a pure proven businessman. But at the same time, you feel that kind if there's, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm saying if, if, if there's a strong marketing ability behind him, uh, I think it's going to be fine. Where I where I mean it by that is Snoop Dogg's great and all, and obviously he's built this great brand. But you need people that are in that day to day process that are have the ability to run a franchise and organization. That's that's not right. Snoop Dogg as much as we love Snoop. Like that's right. just not what his role is going to be. But I think you know it kind of speaks to the idea that this isn't just a marketing ploy. This isn't just something that is for the accolade for the fame a little bit here. I mean, this has a genuine purpose of creating a serious. A, you know, revitalization of a franchise and a brand. And I just, again, it's so on point for him to throw that out there. Um, you know, and I just, I, I thought it was too good not to include, but I mean, what a great position for the Ottawa senators, everything in the South Southern part of the United States in the Southwest has been a little bit crazy and everything in the Northeast and Canada seems to be trending in the right direction. Depends on which side of Quebec you're on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would imagine there's one side that's hoping that the southwest of the U.S. you know migrates uh, closer to that region. But right. uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but with that being said, of course, we're going to talk about that in the extra ice episode. We're talking about the Arizona Coyotes. In case you haven't pieced that one together, I know. Again, I'm not a math guy, so I like to help people who also are not math, math people. Uh, that wasn't math. That was just alternative facts. <laughs> yeah, fake news, right? I what isn't fake though? A couple more topics here. Craig Conroy, the new Flames general manager, uh, announced this past Tuesday, about a week ago, basically. Uh, so he's been a part of the Flames front front office since 2010. Of course, was a player for nine years as well, too. Um, in addition to that promotion, they also hired veteran executive Dave Nonis as senior VP of Hockey Ops and the AGM as well. Six years of GM experience, four in Vancouver, two in Toronto, and then has spent the past three years as the AGM of Anaheim, which you, know, you can say what you will about you know those organizations. It's interesting. You 
Vancouver from 2004 to 2008, Toronto from 2013 to 2015, and then Anaheim for the past three seasons. There's kind of a trend there, Nick. That's yeah. It's it's kind of a bridge deal. Let's put it that way. <laughs> While that and all three of those teams at that particular time were not good. Were not good. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that'll be interesting. But the Flames have got their person now. The question is: Is uh, Brad Sherleving? Is he going to end up in Toronto now? I mean, is that going to be? you know, the next step. And we'll talk about that, obviously, but um, I don't know. It, well, again, the recycle bin is out, right? And it, it's, it is. We, we see that with the head coaching, uh, you know, openings to in the NHL. We see it probably even more uh, when it comes to the general manager positions. Um, again, as soon as, you know, the Dubas news broke, and I know we'll touch on that later, you know, he was immediately linked to Pittsburgh. Uh, again, Brad Treliving, again, as soon as that, it was subsequently he linked to Toronto. Um, it just, it's like once you get to a certain point in the league, you just, you kind of, you have some job security. It may not be with one particular team, but you tend to get plenty of opportunities to uh, to make your name and to make a mark on the league. And that's what appears to be the same as we go into this offseason. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. We'll talk about the Penguins, too, as well, too. Speaking of a former Maple Leaf and a Penguin, NHLPA promoting uh, Ron Hainsey to assistant executive director, part of that new regime there. I think he's always done a good job and obviously very good veteran presence as a player in the latter stages of his career as well, too. So congratulations to him. And then the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, have spoken to veteran free agent bench bosses Mike Babcock and Peter Laviolette about their head coaching vacancy. Uh, Still looking for the answer in Columbus. Uh, um, it's not Mike Babcock. I'll tell you that much. Um, but you, you kind of wonder in Columbus, such as is in a unique position, right? Because they, with Brad Larson, you know, I don't necessarily know. And I think if you were to ask uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, if you could bear all the blame on the head coach, I think for an honest conversation, the answer would be no, but you do kind of get the sense that, Columbus is looking for some star power, right? They're looking for something because now they got Johnny Hockey. They've got Patrick Laine. And you're kind of wondering, okay, can we do something with this? The issue also with Columbus is beyond maybe a couple of players, maybe Jack Roslovic. That roster, there's not a whole lot of names that you could probably ramble off if you're a casual hockey fan, right? So Yeah, potential uh, high draft pick in the upcoming draft. But Yeah, I mean. so that's tough. To me, you know, again, you talk about recycled coaches right now. Mike Babcock, again, kind of bit of a shadow over his name with some of the developments that got him out of Toronto. And then apparently again when he was coaching uh, a college up in Canada. Uh, La Violette has sort of, shall we say, a limited window on what – his coaching style brings um, I, to me it would be Laviolette over Babcock if that was the well, only two. Well, if you wanted any fear, of course, Gerard Gallant is still out there, and Joel Quenville also met with the NHL this week to discuss his coaching yeah. future. So that's. Um, but uh, you know, again, you know, until his name has been cleared, you know, and, and who knows if and when that would happen. Uh, I kind of want to, you know, I think some teams are kind of hesitant to really make him a serious candidate until that is sorted out. And again, part of the Kyle beach situation, uh, Joel Quenville, again, for those maybe who didn't realize uh, that goes back again, essentially the NHL removed him from the bench on the Florida Panthers midway through last season, uh, essentially in, in the wake of all the, uh, of the report that came out for that investigation. So again, you know, we talk about names that we know, but, 
you kind of wonder, you know, who else yeah. who hasn't gotten a chance, you know, what are some of the younger names that maybe should get a chance, right? Yeah. So or maybe, or, may, or maybe it will be internal too as well. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Obviously, you mentioned the Florida Panthers. Our very final topic here: just one guy, Alex Barkov, of course, day to day after the action in Game Three's contest yesterday. And welcome in to the main portion of the show, episode 163. Nick Max and Noah Grant here in the den. And uh, we start uh, for the last time this season. The USHL playoffs are done. Unfortunately, the Fargo Force unable to pick up a victory. A pair of one goal losses, one in overtime, and then one nothing in game number three in that best of five Clark Cup final. The Force do fall to the Youngstown Phantoms. Congratulations to them for their uh, Clark Cup championship. I mean, they came out in that first game and were able to uh, put down a victory scoring four goals in that first one and from then it was only three goals was all that was needed to finish off the Fargo Force I mean it was three tightly contested hockey games I think Fargo probably deserved a better fate in at least one of those games probably to push it to maybe four games but I mean nonetheless Nick Oliver his first season at the helm at the USHL level as a head coach Nick I think all all things considered yeah uh, you know I yeah Uh, well I, I think all things considered you'd have to (laughs) <laughs> consider it a pretty strong success. It would. Um, and for those who, who didn't catch the news, again, breaking from the rink live, uh, he's now joined Wisconsin as an assistant coach. And this one sort of puzzles me a bit, Noah. Doesn't uh, it? Yeah. Okay. A little bit. And it's not, and, and you kind of wonder too, if going to the USHL and having, and was it literally just to say you had a, a head coach on your resume? Probably. Because you kind of wonder maybe if there were teams that were kicking the tires on him, but maybe were, it's a different level, right? And, and does that maybe hurt his, some teams reaching out? Maybe. I would hope that's not the case. But essentially going back to a similar role that he was with St. Cloud, right, as an assistant coach. So this is interesting to me because, again, Todd, not as, from my understanding, he's the number two guy under Mike yeah. Hastings, right? So... Is it really just about it? I'm going to ask you this. Is it really about having the head coaching experience and being now on a Big Ten roster, technically on a coaching staff? Is this the next stepping stone for him to become a college head coach, more specifically a D1? Or is this sort of, what the heck are you doing, man? Like, I'm puzzled a little bit. Well, again, okay, so we go back, obviously, a record 40 wins, uh, 88 points, uh, USHL Coach of the Year, so obviously made his mark this season, you know, for that franchise in Fargo. Um, I I wonder if it truly is simpler than that, and it truly just comes down to lots of money and a good term or investment with job security. I mean, like, yes, obviously we want to, you know, be at that point where you look and say, okay, you know, I want to be a head coach at, um, well, I don't know, Michigan tech or something like that. Right. You know, and that's what you're working towards. But if someone offers you a shiny new deal and you're making three, four times what you're making and they say, Hey, we want you here at least five years, if not longer, like as a, as a coach in the hockey world, no matter how much success you have, I mean, it's hard sometimes not to turn that sort of thing down. I, I think that right. when we've talked about the conversation about like Brett Larson, right, his seven-year contract at the end of it, should he still be here in a Huskies, behind the Huskies bench, 10 total years for him with this program, a lot of coaches don't have that kind of longevity. Uh, and it only gets harder as you climb the rungs of the ladder there. Um, it, it is perplexing, but 
I, I, I like I said, I wonder if it is simply big but payday, no. good, good contract, uh, you know, and yeah. if Wisconsin does indeed have that success, that also doesn't mean that the guys in front of them will still be there. You know, it could be the exact same situation Nick just had in Fargo where he has success. He moves on to the next level. Same thing could happen uh, for that program too, if they're able to turn the ship around. But yes, on the surface, you're essentially going going back into the role you were in and to a lesser extent, even one step backward from the role you were right. in after, after the departure of Mike Gibbons uh, and at a program that has lacked in success compared to the program that you left at the same level too. So there has to be something something more at play. And by that, what I mean is it's not surface level based on what we normally see for a hockey move for a head coach. Again, I'll uh, – why did Bob Mosco leave St. Cloud to go to the Gophers? Yes, it's the Gophers, but that was the only program he was going to leave St. Cloud for, and he did. There was personal backstory behind that. There was your rationale. I think it's just got to be something similar where it's money, it's term, something like that. A very good pitch was made to him. Um, but, yeah, wishing him all the best. It's uh, exciting but also kind of depressing to know he's not a head coach. Right. Um and again, and going back Wisconsin. To, <laughs> yeah, and, and going back to what I said, right? You kind of wonder if I, I have no doubt that part of the move is a contract and an offer, right? We know Big Ten, there's money to be spent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also kind of wonder too that, well, what was the Big Ten last year, right? And you kind of wonder with the roster Wisconsin is coming in. Let's let's maybe backtrack a bit. Um, you can only go up from here, right? You're going to be in a conference that arguably overtook the NCHC as the best big college hockey conference in the U.S. last year. It's in a prime position to keep that this year, right? Especially with some things we'll talk about here a little bit later. But if they're able to turn that program around and Nick Oliver's part of that, maybe this is part of that stepping stone that says, okay, yes, you proved yourself now as a head coach at junior, right? Now you have that on your resume. You go to uh, Wisconsin, sure, you're an assistant. Maybe you're the second assistant. I don't think that maybe some programs look at that any differently than maybe you're in Todd Knott's position, right? But you can then take a Wisconsin team that was bottom of the Big Ten, and even if they make it to the middle of the pack, you're going to improve quite a bit in a very tough Big Ten conference that's going to be there next year. And now you can sit there and say, okay, you've had an influence here at Junior's. You've had an influence on the Wisconsin program. Okay, you're ready to lead a D1 program. Maybe that's what this is. Maybe this is that necessary step. And yeah, can't discount what Wisconsin can offer. Again, that's why we had fears of Brett Larson. Um, and when his name was you know, thrown around, we had a very nice chat with him about, was it two months ago now? Um, yeah. About you know him and his feelings towards that. So We'll see. You know, you kind of hope that it is the springboard for him, but he's joining a program that very quickly looks like they're going to be a much better, much different team as early as this season. Granted, a lot of new pieces, a lot of probably a new style, new system, but they're looking to make a big improvement right off the jump, and it certainly seems that way. Yeah, and again, I, I, this is going to be a story that I think is going to develop in the coming days, and maybe we'll hear a little bit more, or maybe we won't. I mean, this. I mean, it's not necessarily Nick's, you know, prerogative to have to release as to why he made that decision. Uh, you know, that's a 
completely up to him. So uh, nonetheless, I mean, wishing him the best, of course, unless they're playing St. Cloud. Now, I guess we can throw that tagline yeah, <laughs> at, at the so. end of that one. Um, but yeah, what an incredible year for him. I think the other thing that um, the only thing that I think leaves a bit of a, I don't want to say sour taste, but, but maybe more of a melancholy type feel is you kind of feel for that Fargo franchise who has been through the yeah. turnstile of two head coaches who have only lasted a season there now. And they finally had success, had a great group there, but now they're kind of back to the drawing board with finding somebody who is a great leader. I, again, I skate with a couple of guys in the summer that have played on that team and, you know, a couple of guys that know that group really well. And they talked about the atmosphere and the coaching staff this year was one of the best they've seen for that program. So, um, you know, and of course their longtime head coach is now in a front office role. So knowing the temperature of that organization, you just kind of wonder what their next step is going to be. Uh, as far as other NCAA player moves, the big one on the men's side here, uh, Logan Cooley officially returning to the University of Minnesota next season. Um, uh, of course, an Arizona Coyotes draft pick, which uh, um, has nothing to do with the decision at all. Yeah. <laughs> and everything um, to do with the decision, actually. You know, well, we talked about this, too, and it sounds like some preliminary reports even had this decision going back even a couple months. And again, yes. I, I, and, and I mentioned this, too, uh, in our private group chat, and we've talked about this. Um, I always kind of had this feeling that he just, uh, again, going back to the simplicity of the thing, also just kind of the idea of wanting to run him back in front of playing in front of 11,000 people every night in Minnesota and getting a chance there. And, and I think that everyone has this idea that, yes, you know, he's he's a stud. He's definitely a top nine guy on that team in the National Hockey League right now. No question if he jumps mm-hmm. into that lineup. But there are some guys who know that the NHL is waiting and it oddly enough want another kick at the can at the collegiate level to take another stab at a national championship and develop. I mean, really that is a thing like, like, you know, like don't, I, what I, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm done. So, Oh, that's, that's new. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, when I was, I joined, uh, the pro hockey West, uh, report just a couple of days ago and uh one of their reporters is very in fact spent 16 years in arizona and actually has contacts that shall we say are in prime positions in both the the tempe city council um as well as the arizona coyotes organization and uh what he says echoes some of the rumors that are out there that essentially once the national championship game was done they did offer him a contract to sign and the rumor is is that he wanted to wait to see what the Tempe Arena deal, uh, what happened with that vote. And we'll talk about that later, right? I'm not going to spoil yeah. it. But it 100% to me is more influential than, yeah, just the championship aspect. I'm not saying that you're wrong here. Hmm. But if he's a Toronto pick, if he's a pick of the New York Rangers, if he's a pick of name a cup contender, I don't think he's hesitating to sign. Um, and the reason I say that is it's obvious what the talent is as a top five pick, right? Um, he could be on an NHL roster and he could be making a lot of good money, right? So to me, that's the dichotomy. That's what I see. Um, it doesn't mean that he's not wrong. It doesn't mean that that doesn't play a part in his decision to try to win a national championship, especially with some of the freshmen. You talk about some guys coming in the Gophers, holy cow. Uh, but also remember, they got Justin Close back. They got Jackson Nelson back. There's some guys that are there. Jimmy Snuggerud, again, announced a while ago that he was returning. So really the big name that's not there only is Matthew Nyes, right? So And uh, a couple of, um, of other guys, but re- realistically, it's not – as big of a turnover as maybe some were expecting. 
And so this team is primed. And so I think Logan Cooley is in a position where he can sort of hang back, not because I think primarily, and I will argue this and I'll stand by this, that he wants to win a national championship. He sees what we see. Coyotes are, they're a mess. And I think you have an opportunity where you can kind of ride it out and see what happens here. And then as things progress and who knows what's going to happen in the next 100 days, I do think that the next, uh, a few of those are going to be quite important for that franchise and what the future holds for him. Uh, but then again, he's not caught in that whirlwind of what may happen. So, well, I, I think the other thing too, is that uh, again, going back to it, he also plays for a program that has a chance to do damage. If he plays for yeah. Dartmouth, it's a different story, right? Like he's, you know, there's I don't know no- if it is. And I don't need, you know, it but- may be a little bit different, but again, I think you know, it's I think it's majorly different. If you play for a program like Dartmouth and you're a good hockey player and you have a chance to sign a pro contract, is it really any less sure dysfunctional? Sure, but is it any less successful than the program that you're at? But you're making three, four, you know, five times whatever you can make off of NLI stuff. Like it's, I think there is something to that because we've had conversations and you know on the other podcast I did this week there's the other rumor out there is that could Logan Cooley essentially stay at Minnesota and not ever sign with the Coyotes. That's a possibility, right? So am I saying that's going to happen? No. Uh, most recently, what was it? Jimmy VC was probably the more prominent name that never signed with the team that drafted him. I do think that the Coyotes element is part of his decision. I do think it's a major part of it because is it a bad bad time to mention the fact that should his eligibility be up where he could do a Jimmy VC and sign an error will be right into the first year when Minnesota, the Minnesota wild suddenly have a lot of cap room question mark, question mark. Okay, cool. Yeah. And and that's the thing, right? Is, you know, because here's the thing. There's been, and we'll talk about it later, but there's so many different options that are on the table for that franchise. And again, it's and it's not just where the team is at or maybe where they're not at, but also some of the behind-the-scenes things that the NHL has denied, especially with some of the NHLPA, the supposed grievances with this past season and, of course, the Mulder Arena factor. I just think that from a player of his stature that literally could have signed that next day, probably within that last hour after he was off the ice in Tampa, him choosing not to, I think plays a really big signal of, I think he's in tune of what's actually happening down there more than beyond what we know. And that again, played a big part to why he's returning to the U of M. I just, now, sorry, I was salivating at the fact. Imagine him centering Matt Boldy and Kirill Kaprizov in a couple of years. Is that an exciting thought? Um, there'd, and, there'd be plenty of money, like you said. Yeah, certainly money would. Money. Uh, uh, other stories for the men's side. The only one that I have here, Hunter Johannes, uh, signed at North Dakota from Lindenwood, had 29 points in 28 games as a senior forward last season. I couldn't remember if we mentioned that or not, so we're mentioning it again. Uh, the news actually continuing to trickle in a lot more on the women's side of things here. So mm-hmm. uh, we start with Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota, Taylor Stewart, Lucy Morgan, both added from Duluth and St. Lawrence, respectively. Of course, Taylor Stewart, 39 games played, eight points for her. And then Lucy Morgan, a senior netminder, 35 games for St. Lawrence last season, uh, a 226 and a 915. So not bad numbers, obviously, coming from St. Lawrence. So Minnesota, 
um, taking care of business there. And then Paula Bergstrom, the junior defenseman in 27 games, 16 points for Long Island University, joins Minnesota Duluth, of course, as a Swedish Olympian. So uh, Duluth restocking the pipeline on the back end there. And then the only other move coming from our St. Cloud State Huskies, uh, Ohio State actually was quiet this week, so we don't have to talk about them. That's, that's a first in a while. Yeah, no kidding. Um, uh, the Dartmouth product, CC Bowlby, the senior forward, 29 games played, 10 goals, 9 assists, 19 points, headed to St. Cloud State, entered the transfer portal on May 22nd and was scooped up pretty quick. Literally, literally the same day by St. Cloud. Um, the Huskies definitely kind of bring this idea of uh, winning by committee and letting players kind of assimilate into the WCHA a little bit here. Again, you wonder what the translation is going to look like, not only for St. Cloud, for a team like Ohio State, too, that we talked about with some right. of those high-end players here. But St. Cloud, again, we talked about they're losing eight players uh, trying to restock that pipeline. They've already got uh, four on the list here, Nick. Yeah, and that's just from the transfer portal. Again, we you know still don't know a little bit about the recruiting class, which I think is going to be part of you know the rest of that gap per se. But again, you know these are players too that uh, we talked about it last week, where uh, there's a name out there for women's hockey now. Uh, there is yeah. a recognition that Adolski has turned this team around, that they're playing at a level that could get this team into. Uh, essentially a, an NCAA tournament, right? And the more that that narrative continues to flow, and this is going to be an important year for Adolski, right? Can he sustain that level of success? Um, that's only going to work wonders, not only for his recruiting, but also, again, as the transfer portal continues to essentially transform in front of our eyes, right, to be used. I mean, it's almost like free agency now in, in college sports, Um Adolski can take advantage of it. We've seen it on the men's side with Brett Larson and his staff and, you know, how they can pick a couple of names and be, you know, the perfect fits per se. Um, mm-hmm. I think Adolski is on track where, again, if this, this year he continues to progress, uh, his name and this program's name is going to continue to rise in interest for other players that are out there. And that can only mean, again, as the arms race, as we saw with Ohio State, the Gophers and Duluth continues to Shall we say just add what looks to be just a completely and insanely amount of talent? Um, You have to keep up a little bit, and I think St. Cloud will continue to climb with these guys, and that's great to see. Yeah, it is great to see again that women's program. Again, they're kind of the group that we're probably going to hear a little bit more of news wise as we go through the next couple of months. I mean, they're the group that, and then of course, the freshman class will get closer to August, maybe September on the men's side as well, too, before we hear on that side of things as well. So um, I would imagine this segment will get shorter and shorter as the summer continues to go along, though, until we have that moment where everything just kind of breaks loose and we start to get those releases from some of these teams as we push into the middle of. August-ish, it kind of seems like when uh, we start to hear a lot about it. Uh, Moving over to the National Hockey League, round three, Nick. um, Four of the five first games have gone to overtime. And, of course, Dallas-Vegas game three happening as we record here right now, Nick. And this, I mean, this is just crazy because uh, we'll start, obviously, with Florida and Carolina because they're the easiest to talk about at this current point. Uh, First game, four overtimes, a couple of seconds away from a fifth, the sixth longest longest game in NHL history. Uh, Game two, two to one victory in overtime for the Cats. And then game three, one to nothing last night. Uh, How frustrating it must be to be a Carolina fan. Nick, dare I say... This might be the most tightly contested three nothing deficit we've seen in NHL history. Like, 
I mean, it's, it's almost mind-boggling, right? And yeah. we said as we looked and we previewed these series, right, is that this looks close. And what's funny is, and you mentioned it in the open, close and also not, right? It's a 3 nothing deficit for Carolina, but they're all one-goal games, two of those coming in overtime, one an absolute marathon, uh, again, sixth longest game in the NHL history. Um, one tidbit you probably forgot is, First time ever in the conference final slash semifinal that the first four conference games went to overtime consecutively. So that's says something, yeah. right? Yeah. And yet here we sit, and despite very close matchups, Florida's up three nil. That's insane, right? Can, Vegas up two nothing. Can you say that again? Yeah, the Florida Panthers. <laughs> who are literally, as we, and we said this before, almost seem to be a clone of the 2012 Los Angeles Kings. I mean, what yeah, more the, is there to say, The crazy right? thing is the Kings had to work a heck of a lot harder to get to that point. You know what I mean? Bit. Like, But here's the thing. Jonathan Quick kind of also you know, got to form. Sergey Bobrovsky, holy cow, is he just... I mean, is he, he's the easy Conn Smythe favorite right now if Florida's able to win one of the next four games, which I have a tough time believing that they won't. Again, game four on home ice, too, so holy cow. And if they're able to take care of that, it's not really safe to say that they're a wait a long time. Vegas up 2 nothing. They're up 3 nothing already in the first period in this hockey game. So, despite that, I mean, holy cow, and if you're Carolina, too, going back to game one, you had chances in the overtime there. You had chances uh, and actually Probably yeah, should have had game two, right? Yeah, they were all over them. All Carolina over. It wasn't game one. Yeah. I mean, so it's, and it's frustrating too, right? And I think this is where, you know, when we hear about staying the cup playoff on the hockey gods, this is what we refer to, right? Which is the team that probably deserved to win, just either couldn't buy a bounce or they ran into a freaking brick wall. And it's been Sergey Bobrovsky, right? Um, mm-hmm. How fun would this be, right, for Florida? Um, more so if Carolina doesn't come out of this, and let's just say it's even, game five four games to one question marks got to be swirling around that organization not to take away from rod brendamore but seems to be hitting a wall in terms of the conference final and let's just say that carolina made some moves they kind of signaled all in right you kind of wonder what that organization is feeling being down three nothing in the season of the line tomorrow at enemy territory that's got to be tough well, I know that Minnesota Wild fans obviously are frustrated with first round exits, right? But again, this goes back to the idea of you just have to make the big dance. And and one of the things that I want to point out here is Vegas, Dallas, who if you look at them based on conference standing, so if you take all 16 in each conference and look at them, Vegas, of course, first in the West, Dallas fourth, separated by three points at the end of the regular season, 111 to 108. On the flip side of things, Carolina second in the East at 113 points. Basically, if Boston didn't exist, they they would win the East. They, they won the East. The difference here: 21 points. Florida at 92. Florida has one bad shootout, one bad game. They have Pittsburgh and Buffalo right on their heels at 91, and they wouldn't have even made the postseason. How about that, huh? And I mean, it's incredible. And. To further that point where I make the big dance, let's not forget, and I know hockey fans have not forgotten this, they took out the Boston Bruins, who had a record-setting yeah. regular season, were down 3-1 in that series, came back and won three straight and won Game 7 in Boston, and then took out the Toronto Maple Leafs very efficiently, to say it that yeah. way, and now almost even more efficiently could be disbanding the Carolina Hurricanes. 
we is talked it, about we, this. Is it okay? Is it okay to say this? If Florida is able to get past Carolina, is it now almost like a failure if they don't win the cup because of just how good they've been in the playoffs? Well, we talked about the, the one thing that they did, and I mentioned, I don't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, the difference for this team after they made the postseason is after whatever it was, game two or game three, they solved their Alex Lyon problem. Sergey yep. Bobrovsky played out of his mind last night in that one to nothing victory over Carolina. Yeah. You shouldn't win a game in the conference finals one to nothing. Like no. you kept Carolina. Let me, let me throw this back here. Carolina, who had 266 goals for this season. You kept you kept them off the board, which is actually pretty low, actually looking at the numbers, but still a team that scores a lot and doesn't give up a lot on the other side of things here. I mean, the, besides the first round, which again, you talk about that hiccup, won a very good Boston Bruins team, which I, I think yeah. if Boston gets through that first round, they're doing the same thing. They're carving through for sure the second round and maybe even this current round here. I mean, they, they were a great hockey team. Like, let's not... Let's not forget about that. But once Florida found that momentum, found a little bit of magic in the first round and squeaked by in the first round, that belief was there. And you ran into a Toronto team that that organization and franchise didn't know what to do with themselves in the position that they were in in the second round. And they haven't looked back. I mean, like I said, this is a group that just believes that they can't lose. And that I know that sounds like juvenile, rudimentary, like, 12U holiday tournament type stuff. But sometimes it is that easy. A team that is just willing to lay down for each other and block shots and just make that extra little play. There's the belief in that room that they can get it done and that they're invincible. And it has them one win away from a Stanley Cup final appearance, only their second in franchise history and first since 1996. And they would be looking for their first Stanley Cup final victory in that round. They were 0-4, of course, in their lone appearance against Colorado. So, uh, I, 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 like you talked about last week, we shouldn't be mind-blown now that we've seen the track record. But, like, I still am. I, like, I still am. It's And I think maybe it's because, again, it's it's not that – I mean, we, we put so much emphasis on they were the 16th seed, right? They weren't playing their best hockey. They weren't. And, again, if Pittsburgh slash Buffalo had won – honestly different results they're not in this position at all right yeah and as you mentioned they they get the goaltending they in what they thought they were paying Bobrovsky for right is he comes in after essentially Alex Lyon took away against Spencer Knight also I mean Bobrovsky was there were talks about do they trade him there was and, and, and granted that was a bit maybe out there at the time but now Coming back down 3-1, you win game 5-3-2. That was it. That was it. Once they tied that series 3-3 in Boston, Florida has literally kept their eyes forward and has not looked back since. And every single game, Bob Rovsky, last night's game was a perfect example of that. Some great chances by Carolina. He just has kept them off the board. Um, When you have a goaltender like that and – he can essentially make up for maybe some miscoverages and, and things like that in front of you. Um, why wouldn't you believe, right? Why wouldn't yeah. you? They're, you know, just, so- they're, they're peaking at the right time. I mean, they were, yeah. they were borderline not good for 80% of the season this year. 
Yeah. And they just, they've found the groove that they need. You need eight weeks of a good groove to win a Stanley Cup. Yep. And for five and a half weeks so far, they've looked really darn good. Really uh, good. And uh, to throw this real quick out there, and yeah. I think yeah. we talked about this last week, is remember this team won the President's Trophy last year. Yeah. Right? People forget that, right? Uh, Without Matthew Kachuk, who has been a large and a way better performer than Jonathan Huberto, which does nothing against Jonathan Huberto, Matthew Kachuk has just been that good. Like, he's, he's a playoff type player, right? There are certain players that just their game translates to playoff success. And that's exactly why they went out and got Matthew Kachuk and made that trade with Huberto and Mackenzie Weir to Calgary. Um, but more so, right, is that to your 80% point, had this team not missed the, had not made the playoffs, they would have been the first team in NHL history to win the president's trophy the previous season and failed to qualify for the playoffs. And there was a lot of talk like, Paul Maurice coming in again after he resigns in Winnipeg. Was this the right fit? What's going on here? What's wrong with this team? Because it just felt like we were still waiting for this team to burst onto the scene, right? It wasn't yeah. like they were playing abhorrently bad all the time, but it was kind of a puzzle, right? Where it's like, why is this team the way that this is? Because on one night, they would blow a team out, and then the next day, they would get blown out, right? It was like, yeah. what team are you going to get? And for whatever reason, again, going back to the Boston series, they finally found whatever strategy, whatever formula, whatever same line of track that it is. And it's a runaway train. It's going to be tough to yeah. stop. I did feel bad for Carolina the other night, though. That high stick call was definitely missed yesterday. Yes, um, certainly could have changed uh, an opportunity in that game. I don't want to say for the sure. outcome, but could, could have given a pretty significant opportunity late in that game. But nonetheless, timing wise. Yep. Yeah. Nonetheless, though, Florida has earned it on the other side. A pair of overtime victories four three and three two for the Vegas Golden Knights have them up to nothing. And Nick, I'm hoping you haven't looked at the box score yet. Please there tell me you haven't. You already have. Okay. Well, yeah. we don't do fun here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Uh, the Golden Knights with three and a half minutes left in period number one lead three to nothing in this hockey yeah. game, having a chance to put a stranglehold on this series as well, too. And Vegas in similar fashion. They were down 2-1 in game two with two and a half minutes to play. They get the equalizer and they bury one in overtime. You got to have a little bit of luck, too. I mean, like, it, it's not just. Well, because, luck or because, Ed Ryan Suter make a, make a gaffe. <laughs> well, I, I was so happy watching him literally. I mean, he was literally the crux of that play from beginning to end. Yep. Um, but, like, let's be realistic here. And we talked about Vegas and their firepower in the Pacific. I, I still maintain the fact Dallas is the more complete team. They've got the, yeah. better, they've got the better goaltender. They suffocate defensively. you got to look at, besides, obviously, the first overtime, last game they gave up 21 shots. Yeah. I mean, they're a suffocating defensive team, which is – you know, crazy to think about. And they've had offensive performers. Wyatt Johnston has looked really good as a rookie guys yes. that have stepped up like th this, both of these rounds, if Vegas holds on tonight, this shouldn't be happening. Like it just shouldn't. No. Well, and it's, it's funny because you talk about in hockey, right? It's talk about, can we consistently create chances in those high danger areas? Dallas for the most part has done that, right? The difference is Vegas and the small upper, the small amount of opportunities they've been getting, they're capitalizing on perfect example was again, that game tying goal in game two, Jonathan Marsh. So first of all, Jack Eichel say what you want about Jack. Holy cow. Has he been a difference maker in these playoffs? Not only oh, yeah. on Connor McDavid defensively. I think I've been more impressed with how he matched up against the Edmonton Oilers in round number two, 
but he forces Ryan Suter to make that play, gives up the puck, and then that look over the shoulder and then the beautifully timed backhand. They call it no look, and you could probably say it is, but then yeah. Marshall so times that right behind the same guy and pops a, a beautiful one-time shot over the shoulder of Jake Ottinger, he's, ties he's, the game. He's been waiting for a while. He's been waiting. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, you kind of get that sense too. It's like, they just, they've kind of been opportunistic, right? Whereas on Vegas's end, I mean, I don't know if you can say they've been equally good as def- defensively, but they kind of have, right? Because Dallas has not really also been able to get that edge on special teams like they did against another team that we cover. Um, their majority of their chances have been from the perimeter and say what you want about the Vegas defense, which has looked leaky at times. They've been getting also some pretty good goaltending that probably is going a little bit under the radar too. So um, tonight, if that score holds 3-0, that's that's almost disaster for Dallas, right? Because you're on home yeah. ice. Again, it's not a series until you lose on home ice, but yikes, that's a tough mountain to climb. And when Vegas does have that multi-goal lead in the season, they were good about locking things down. And we'll see with yeah. Bruce Cassidy. And this is where heroes are made. William yeah. Carlson, who hadn't had a multi-goal game in 281 contests or something like that since basically his... I, I was going to say rookie year, but his inaugural season when he was with Vegas yep. suddenly pots two in the, in game one, right? Like it's suddenly, Oh, okay. Like, you know, you just find magic at the right time a little bit too. Like yep. all, all the planning, all the statistics, all the matchups, sometimes it goes out the window when it's two, two with three minutes left in the third. Like it just becomes a hockey game. And both of these series is even if they both end up being three to nothing have been, two of the most entertaining conference finals and two of the most entertaining quote unquote kind of blowouts that we've seen uh, in in history. I mean, it's been really good hockey. There's no doubt in my mind that whoever makes it to the Stanley cup final, it's going to be a good one. And it's going to be intriguing because it's not going to contain teams that we've been talking about for the past couple of years. And if it is, shall we say the two teams that are leading Vegas and Florida, both of those teams would be vying for their first ever Stanley Cup. That hasn't happened since 2018, Vegas and Washington, when Olvi won his first cup, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, and there's been some deaths, you know, some, what would you call it? Like some freaking trains over the Whoa. past 10 years, right? Oh. Chicago winning three, Detroit a couple, Pittsburgh back to back. How about the idea that between the four teams still remaining, you have two combined Stanley Cups, Dallas in yeah. 99 and Carolina in 06. 06. Like, it's been a while, and I think this is why we love the playoffs, right? Florida's story, Vegas again, you know, they've been searching for them. They've been deep in the playoffs, just haven't found it. And again, this is a rematch of 2020 West Final again that was up in the bubble. But, you know, Vegas, I think, also was like, okay, we we got to make something happen here, and mm. they are. And again, there's still a lot of hockey to play 40 minutes after one, still up 3 nothing. There's still plenty of time for Dallas to get back into the hockey game, but Again, if that score doesn't change, two teams strangleholds. And again, if you dissect each game, maybe besides this one against Vegas and Dallas, could have gone either way. Well, like we said for our show, our goal is to coincide with the end of the third round for our next show. Again, we might be right in the middle of the Stanley Cup final by the time we have our next show, just because of the craziness ends. <laughs> yeah, that we've seen, which is wild to think about. Uh, speaking of things that didn't end quickly, but I suppose... 
it had to end at some point. Kyle Dubas out in Toronto here, our second to last topic in the main portion of the show. Uh, and, and it was kind of interesting, a couple of things that, uh, you know, some writers have, have put together when it talks about, you know, Kyle Dubas and, and what he meant to this franchise. And I, I still think from my own personal perspective that Kyle Dubas was a good GM. And I felt like he was yeah. a good, I, he was a good fit in Toronto. I, he made mistakes like every GM does. I, I, there's nobody that's immune to that. His biggest probably looking back is not having one of the core four move at some point, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, Mitch Marner, um, one of those four on the move. Um, But I think you also got this feeling that if they could just get past the first round, they could maybe vindicate themselves and kind of relax a little bit. They did that, and then they kind of poo-pooed it away in the next week. Um, So, I mean, that obviously, uh, the Sheldon Keefe hiring, of course, was a big switch like you mentioned from Mike Babcock who we mentioned earlier um getting rid of a guy like Nazem Kadri whether you wanted to or not being comfortable making that move um mm-hmm. you know that and and being up against the cap and kind of making uh moves up against the cap finding draft picks making trades finding guys uh that are kind of not reclamation projects but guys that kind of need a second chance a little bit it's been impressive um but then mistakes right you know keeping justin hall losing jared mccann who's having a whale of a season for the seattle kraken patrick Patrick marlowe you know the trade deadline you know this year they're gonna have to blow it up in some capacity this season whoever comes in as gm yeah i Kyle Dubas has an interesting legacy. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, and then moreover, uh, why don't we start there and then we'll kind of go through what has happened this past week and where we're at. Uh, so first of all, with, with Dubas, right again, he'd been with the organization for a number of years before being promoted to GM. Right. So he, it wasn't like a new face, you know, it was an, in, it was an in-house option and seen as a very intelligent guy. Um, we heard that before with John Chaika with the coyotes. So <laughs> different. no, that's okay. Uh, but uh, honestly, for me, what killed Kyle Dubas, and I'm sure we'll talk about Shanahan's explanation, which I find to be all a bunch of BS. I really mm. do. Um, and I hope I looks by your reaction. You feel the same. Um, you talk about the Patrick Marlowe thing, right? Where they literally traded a first round pick to get rid of his contract, but they also signed him to a three year deal with eight, like 18.75 million. So, paying him big bucks for a guy that was over the hill, right? Uh, I still feel like there's something to be said about the John Tavares signing. And what I I mean by that is nothing against John Tavares. But when you looked at the Maple Leafs and the roster construction at the time, they did have Austin Matthews and they had Nazem Kadri, right? They had a number one and number two bona fide center. Yes, John Tavares wanted to play as a Toronto Maple Leaf, but for the term and for the dollar amount that he was given, what has been this team's issue for the last few playoff runs? Just nothing on defense besides what Morgan Riley. Now, mind you, they've also had some unlucky breaks with Jake Muzzin, um, who I thought looked good when he was healthy. But again, yeah. you know, that's and, and maybe that's what it is, right? Is we look back at some of those, you can call it mistakes or miscalculations, but this team wanted to outscore. And we've seen in the conference finals, besides the game that we're watching tonight between Vegas and Dallas, they're low scoring in this defensive clinics that four, almost five overtime rally between uh, Florida and Carolina was a defensive clinic on both squads playing yeah. above pucks, making the right, you know, reads puck management, you know, 
it, it rarely works where you're, you're going to outscore a team seven to six and win a Stanley Cup playoff yeah. game beyond the first round, right? And I think with the impending decisions that are upcoming, because you have some big ones on the on the rise, I think it was time for a change. Well, there were, there's no way you could have foreseen when signing Tavares to that contract, which you gave him an extra mil or two just to have him to come to Toronto. There's no way you could have anticipated COVID, you know, though. And that's really what put Toronto in a really tough spot is that you're losing a, a potential action with the Minnesota Wild. No, I, de- I definitely agree. But I'm like, you're losing an extra four or five million that you potentially would have had where all of a sudden you can pick up an extra defenseman or two and mitigate some of those air leaks that you have in, in the bicycle tire here. Like, yeah, you know, but also, did you have to sign Tavares? Because again, like, you know, I, everyone gives him a hard time. I, honestly, I mean, is he overpaid for his age? Yeah, probably. But at the same time, he's, I mean, he was one of the best playoff performers, at least in the first round. I mean, he's been more than serviceable as a 200 foot sentiment for that club. Is he worth whatever it is, 10 and a half, 11 million, whatever he's getting paid? No. But at the same time, He's not invaluable to this club where he's an absolute dumpster fire of no. a signing. You know, no, like it's but it's it's more of I think the question that a lot of hockey writers, especially Toronto media, were have been putting out there, and this is where I'm coming from, is again, this has nothing to do with Tavares. You know, yeah. you, when someone slides you that offer sheet, who isn't gonna sign that, right? It's more of what was the thinking besides when you had arguably not already a number one and an, a more importantly number two center. You were never gonna be number one. Um, above Austin Matthews, right? But you kind of had the sense of, okay, well, what was the plan with Nazem Kadri then? You know, what should there have been a trade with Kadri that maybe gave you back some defensive pieces or mm-hmm. some have argued, do you not sign Tavares at all? I'm not sure he had that opportunity. And what I mean by that is Tavares really wanted to be in Toronto. Right. And, and, and that I have no issue with. But if that was the case, then why not get more assets for your back end, which has struggled even before Dubas took over, right? It's been essentially a calamity. It's been Morgan Riley and fill in the names, right? As far as Toronto's uh, defensive core. And at times when Jake Muzzin was healthy, it was him. But if you look at some of the guys that were back there, um, Roman Polak, you know, a guy that, you know, could be defensive defenseman, but was not the best on his feet, right? You talk about Justin Hall, um, some guys who maybe they thought would develop like a Timothy Lilligren that just hasn't maybe gotten up to maybe the speed that they wanted to. They've been misses, right? And it's been goaltending at times. Again, Jack Campbell lasted just a year. And then also defensively where this team has been hurt in years past, right? Um, we go back to a goaltender like Freddie Anderson, right? Who maybe single-handedly could have won in that series against Washington um, a couple of years ago. And they just ran out of gas because they were just getting peppered all the time. Um, yeah. So I, I, I still would have taken Tavares over Kadri, though. I think just that leadership experience. Um, here's here's a good question. Speaking of defensive health, though, does, do you remember who Nazem Kadri was traded for? Any idea? You mean into Toronto? Uh, out of Toronto out to of Colorado Toronto. with Callie Rosen. Wasn't that? Give me a second. Oh, it's geez. interesting. One of them does not play for. It was two picks and two players is what it ended up being a 2023rd and a 2026th. Yep. And two players, one of which still plays and one of which does not. I'm trying to remember, and I'm I'm blanking, and I'm really upset about it. The forward that is still there, uh, Alex Kerfoot. Kerfoot, um, yeah. Ah. On the back end, Tyson Berry. Um, that was it. Was a T that was in my head. Yeah. Yep. 
So it's kind of interesting, you know, what, I mean, if you, if you knew that you were going to have cap constraints, I mean, at the time, I know that Tyson Berry wasn't the high end product that he maybe was a couple of years prior, but it wasn't exactly a, a, a no thought move. I mean, getting Kerfoot and Barry back was, I mean, it wasn't a home run by any means, but it certainly no. was more than a single, I guess, so to speak. Like, sure. But you know, I do question though, with, you know, who the defenseman was. And what I mean by that is with, when you, when you get that type of defenseman back, Morgan Riley is sort of a two way defenseman. He's definitely, I would say more of an offensive defenseman. So, Again, that's where my brain goes. Well, where where was the push to get somebody that was maybe more of like a Jonas Brodeen type that could escape and maybe be more of a shutdown role? Um, that to me was you call it the miscalculation, but that is sort of that domino effect, right? When you sign a guy like Tavares, where you have already a bona fide number two center, then you're trying to recapture other pieces with it. It never usually works via trade as much as you want it to, right? Um, so that's why these free agent signings are so key, right? Because they do set the tone for what you can get back. Because at the end of the day, other NHL GMs are watching you, right? And they understand your position. You're never going to recapture that type of return that you think you can. And now that they, quote unquote, made the second round, cool, wave the flag, right? But at the end of the day, you've got some cap space, but more so you've got some players that are going to be do yeah. major pay raises. And I think where Brandon Shanahan, he will never say this publicly, and this is probably going to segue to our next point, mm-hmm. looked at that limited, and we call 20 million limited with Toronto. I think that's a fair question, is had Dubiston been at the helm, again, he's got attachments to these core guys with some probably necessary changes that probably nobody wants to have happen, but probably need to have happen. I think Shanahan took the position that is we can't keep putting out the same train down the same tracks. And maybe yeah. that's where this decision stemmed from. Well, yeah, let's talk about the last week. And of course, uh, essentially what ended up happening, according to Brendan, Brendan Shanahan's story, and Dubas kind of took the high road about this. He's already actually at a point where um, he's actually supposed to be interviewing with the Pittsburgh Penguins already. So for a guy that made it sound like he wasn't going to do anything, he's been offered an opportunity at least to hear from the Penguins camp. But uh, uh, essentially, Dubas, this all starts with his presser. And he basically says, I don't know what the next steps basically hold for me. You know, we're going to have to take a look with my family and take time to kind of check things out. And that apparently turned the wheels in Brendan Shanahan's brain to the point where he said, okay, I'm starting to have some serious doubts about does this guy want to be the GM? Does he want to be here? Um, apparently Toronto offered Dubas a contract, which he kind of mulled over, came back a couple of days later after that presser and said, actually, yes, I want to be a GM. I, I want to be a part of this process. And at that point, Brendan Shanahan's mind was already made up and he had moved on. He'd been soured by that press conference and he cut him loose a couple of days later. Um, if that's the case, regardless of what you think about the decision that had to be made, um, absolutely friggin' ruthless uh by brendan shanahan if that's if that if, if the story is true which ru- i doubt ruthless i mean if you're talking about within the span of a couple days i mean that's brutal um and i'm not saying that it, um and steve dangle talked about this too if you didn't get a chance to watch his Sportsnet video on this he did a fantastic job on it but uh, again not saying this did or didn't have to happen with kyle dubas that's a separate point and not saying that there's an easy way to do this Separate point number two. 
but there probably could have been a lot better ways to do it if that is indeed the story. I don't know. It's interesting, though. Toronto and their front office and Brendan Shanahan leading the charge and the owner were relatively happy with Kyle Dubas, according to reports, according to what they say. How true that is, we don't know. But if that's the case, then you rescind an offer after a press conference where a guy is doing a very realistic human thing and saying, I need to take some time with my family and you pull the trigger less than a couple weeks after the Leafs get bounced from the playoffs. And I know you have some big decisions with Matthews and all of those guys coming down the road in the next couple of months that somebody's going to have to be in place and you got to get to work. I get that. Um, but Steve Dangle talked about it very well. You know, Brendan Shanahan was there when Kyle Dubas was an AGM. Right. Brent Shanahan has been a part of this process as much as Dubas has too, and has green lighted a lot of these trades. It kind of feels like a tandem failure, so to speak, but Brendan Shanahan is in the driver's seat to be able to make that decision. I I hope it's not true because it it, it was freaking brutal, man. Uh, you know, well, like <laughs> I have a lot to say about this. Uh, number one, I'll say it up front. I don't buy a single ounce of this story. Not a single ounce. And let me go what some would call maybe conspiracy theory on this point to Steve Dangle's point, which is, this is a tandem failure. He's 100% correct on hundred percent. Right. Yeah. But let's go back even further. Dubas and essentially the Maple Leafs had been in contract talks for weeks, if not months. Yeah. He legally was allowed to sign at any time. I think if, if you want me to be honest with you, this has been a manufactured storyline since day one. Because, let's be honest, the Toronto media is ruthless as well. And I think this was a smokescreen. And if you want my personal opinion, I think Dubas's tenure was solely tied to playoff success this year. Solely tied. A couple of things that bring me to that conclusion. One, if you... It's just it's improbable to me that you have these quote unquote great talks, these contract offers, and then all of a sudden a press conference because someone talks about family life. There's no way in my head that that makes any sense at all. Number two, I think at the end of the day, Toronto wanted to control the narrative. I really do think they did. And I think that they had their minds made up after their round two exit. Not only that, but also again, we talked about how he kept this core four together. At the end of the day, I think what Chuck Fletcher ultimately dug himself a hole with, and I keep bringing him up because it's just too easy to beat the dead horse, but he never wanted to shake the core. It ultimately cost him his job because then he was trading first-round picks for Arizona Coyotes players. Cost him his uh, job twice, actually. Twice. Yeah. yeah. So, and with the lack of playoff success... I think it was obvious to the Leafs front office outside of Dubas, right, that we need to change. If we keep a guy that's got essentially a love affair with these four guys, do we have confidence he's willing to make those right moves? And on top of that, we have limited cap space. Again, 20 million, Minnesota Wild would love 20 million in cap space, but you're also not going to pay have to pay a guy that just got off of what, or is going to get off what a 12 point something million dollar per year contract. And he's probably going to command North of probably what 15 million. So yeah. again, we talk about 20, it's not that much, right? So something's got to give. 
And at the end of it, you need some other type of talent on this roster. You've been trying to win with scoring an offense that hasn't worked. And so to me, what it comes down to is, I think this has been manufactured from a long time ago. I think, again, it's always been on playoff success and coming to this point. And I think what the exit meetings reaffirmed to that front office, including Shanahan, talking to Dubas is, tell me about the players and what you feel. Who do you want to keep? I don't feel like he was confident that he was going to be able to let go maybe of a core player, necessarily so. So that way, other things needed to happen. And I think that's really what the storyline is. And the exit meetings that we've heard about, too, signal that a lot of the players feel like a change needs to be made. I don't think Sheldon Keefe's job is any safer right now. Um, you know, either. You um, know and say what you want about Sheldon Keefe, right? Again, when you've got, and I keep going back to the defensive core, that's tough, right? That's that's tough. And it didn't help that um, Samsonov went down with injury. Again, hockey gods can be cruel sometimes. But... It's clear that this roster needs a makeover. It can't essentially it's it's unable to withstand some injuries. It's unable to what you so-called in the regular season, your best weapon, your offense. Again, we talked about the first round that core four was okay. In the second round, they were largely off the board. So again, you can't continue to roll up the same tactics per se as a GM and expect different results. And I do think Again, as I said before, that's really why this happens. And Brendan Shanahan and the Maple Leafs saw an opportunity to push out a narrative, blame whatever this is. I don't buy it. And I think that was their ticket to push a narrative that is false to essentially say we need it, we think there needs to change. I think that was made up days ago. Well, the change is certainly going to be imminent, and we're going to see over the next month where the Toronto Maple Leafs are headed. Decisions have to be made, and guys have to be re-signed or moved. I mean, it's going to be you know, and I, you know, you look at some some moves that were made. Guys like Ryan O'Reilly, who you know was, I still think a great fit for that club, even though he maybe underperformed a little bit in the playoffs. Hard to come back when you break your finger, but I mean, yeah, um, you know, this group, it's not for lack of trying, you know, and sometimes they just didn't get a balance either. I thought, you know, the series last year against Tampa Bay, I mean, they just lost a hard fought series the first year where they didn't really blow anything, so to speak. I mean, it was just a hard fought series but for toronto it's just been you know too little too late for kyle dubas and the, the leafs are moving on and uh yeah and it's and it's gonna be tough you know, right because they don't have their own first round pick this year they have one with boston they don't have a second or third or a fourth so they literally have one first a fifth and a sixth this year they do have their own first next year they don't have a second they have a new york islanders third and some later round picks and then they do not in 2025 have a first or a second round pick. Now, mind you, I think, let's be real. Don't tell me that Brendan Shen isn't looking at that picture too. And I think why this next couple of moves, whether it's trading Mitch Marner, whether it's trading William Nylander, whoever it is, they need draft capital and they need some younger players, right? Yeah. And again, you got to give credit for Dubas. I actually thought that this trade deadline was his best with the Ryan O'Reilly gets and some of the other missing pieces. Again, the hockey gods sometimes just don't give you a bounce, but I think he made the right moves, the right bargain moves and the right fits. Again, Ryan O'Reilly brought him to be that defensive shutdown center. I thought he played his role really, really well. So the mindset was there too little, too late, unfortunately for the now disparaged uh, Maple Leafs GM. 
wild to think about the fact though that that boston draft pick they picked up and will end up being higher than yeah. if they would have kept their own <laughs> kind yeah, of crazy that, right? uh, so i mean they did get out of the first round so there is that but they're still a laughing stock in Canada, apparently. Um, and Matthews at his prime, right? And I think this is the other part of this, right? Austin Matthews, uh, he's well, 25. They're, yeah, they're terrified to blow it up because if they do, it that means that he might not want to stay. It's plain and simple. And yeah. that's and Mitch Marr, 26, Nylander, 27. So these are these are big right now. Here's the good news. If you are moving a Marner or a Nylander, you're moving him in their prime. They should command quite a bit of return. On the other hand, we go back to COVID, right? A lot of teams are cap-strapped. Um, yeah. The one good news is that Matthews, last year of his deal, uh, Marner has two years left. Nylander does have one year left at uh, just a shade under seven. So maybe well, there's an opportunity. It, in an ideal world, you you cut John Tavares loose, but no one's going to take that no. contract without you eating half of it. And then what's the point at that point, right? Like, And, and I well, and you, I think you're at a position too right now with the rest of the league, that might be the case no matter what you try to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because just to make the money work. Now what that could also mean is could you try to entice a higher, maybe a more uh picks your way or maybe another player to offset that. It's gonna that have to be a three team trade regardless. Someone's gonna yeah. have to retain salary. Someone's gonna have to. Um it's a while have done that in the past. <laughs> Good thing you know and, and and part of that too and, and this is a side note, but you kind of wonder with Bill Guerin and the reason why he was sort of that swing man is you kind of wonder if he's willing, if, if he's willing to do that for somebody else. Again, this is, this is the same 32 guys around the same table. If you're willing to be the swing man, at some point, the wild going to be calling these guys and asking for assistance too. Right. And you kind of wonder if it may not be as soon as this year too, because of, again, the cap constraints that the wild will face, you never know, right? So sometimes you do have to sort of play a ball a little bit and you give, you know, throw away your ante per se, because you want either a the better hand or you want to say, okay, now it's my turn to for you to help me out a little bit. So we'll see. Yeah, going to be an interesting time in Toronto, but when isn't it? Let's be real. That's fair. Uh, well, Canada's had an interesting time. Why do we talk about the men's worlds who have just finished their preliminary yeah. play? Uh, Canada had an interesting couple of days. Uh, Losing in a shootout to Norway, who is one of, the, one of the teams that's actually going to end up being relegated for next <laughs> for, yeah. for the next grouping here. So uh, the teams that, of course, are out already in in the groupings here, uh, Slovenia finished last along with Hungary, Austria and Norway. So those four teams will be relegated uh, for the next grouping, just escaping France, Kazakhstan, Denmark and Slovakia are out of the medical medal round in any capacity. So uh, out of group a, the U S winning that group, six wins and an overtime victory for them outscoring their opponents, 34 to eight, uh, 20 total points in seven games for them in terms of the standings points, Sweden and Finland, both right behind with five wins apiece. And then Germany rounds out the top four in group a in group B. It was Canada finishing second, the Swiss. Unbelievable. Six yeah. oh six oh and one for them. Uh it mighty impressive uh for them uh to win group B, outscoring their opponents twenty-nine to ten. In fact, uh a better goal differential than Canada had. Latvia, big shootout victory for them today, uh over the Swiss. Uh so that means that they punched their ticket into the third place spot above uh the Czechs in fourth place. So uh 
the Swiss, of course, kind of resting some top guys, knowing they were going to be in the medal round, but credit the Latvians, they got the job done. As far as what the last week entailed for the U.S., they beat Austria 4-1, to Denmark 3-0, to France 9-0, and Sweden 4-3 to in overtime the other day. Dylan Sandberg had the game winner in that one. Of course, the U.S. beating the Finns 4-1, to Hungary 7-1, to and Germany 3-2 to in their first three games of the matchup uh, for the uh, tournament. So where does that leave us? Well, that leave us leaves us with eight teams left here. Uh, the U.S. will get Czechia. Uh, to start that off, not that that matchup it, historically in the past year and a half on the international stage hasn't <laughs> gone not the U.S.'s way. Yeah. And then the, and then the other side of that bracket, the Swiss have the Germans. So uh, the winners of those two games will get each other. Actually, well, I shouldn't say that. Actually, they're reseeded for each round, so we actually really don't know. Uh, Canada will play Finland. That is must-watch hockey. And then Sweden gets Latvia on the bottom half of that bracket. So they'll be reseeded for the semifinal games. And then, of course, the two winners of the semifinal contest we'll play in the gold medal game the losers in the bronze medal game to round things out so we'll know in the next week uh how that's gonna all shake out here nick but uh a lot of the minnesota wild players looking good marco rossi had a goal the other day finished with uh six points on the on the tournament uh a couple of other wild players looking really good jesper wallstadt looking really good in net for the swedes um i mean it's been an exciting tournament it's been good hockey i mean there's no there's no denying that no not at all um and depending on, you know, if some players that are watching maybe Happy Gilmer and taking a page out of, you know, Rhino, you know, the Tasmanian Devils book, you know, maybe uh, you like that too. But well, I'm yeah. sure we'll touch on that. But how about, uh, uh, how about TJ Tynan, by the way, second in uh, scoring for the tournament, by the way, one goal, nine assists for the U.S. So Dominic Kubalik paces all skaters from Czechia with 12 points, eight goals, four assists for him. Um, yeah. The only other notable NHL or Nikolai Ehlers for Denmark is fourth, Rocco Grimaldi fifth. So um, actually the first Canadian, I don't know if you got a chance to pull up the stats. The first Canadian is tied for seventh in terms of points. Any idea who it is? Hmm. Fantilli? Mackenzie Weaker. Mackenzie Weaker, huh? Three goals, six assists, nine points for him on the back end. The next closest uh, forward, um, for Canada, there is not actually, I don't even think there is one listed here, to be honest with you, unless I'm blind, which is, yeah, I don't see another Canadian forward here in the top 30. Marco Rossi is 30th, actually, one goal, five assists. Uh, Scott Perunovic right next to Marco Rossi and Capo Caco in there as well. So, uh, yeah, the Canadians, I don't know if they're exactly the strongest team. It's funny, in Norway, um, beating Canada today did not boast a single NHLer on their roster. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Just it seems like at least with the worlds, and and maybe I shouldn't say this, but like <laughs> it doesn't maybe put their their best one through per se. Uh, and granted, it doesn't help that it's happening during the Stanley Cup final, you know, or the yeah. semifinal, right? So, um, at, at the end of the day, yeah, you kind of wonder if that's part of it. Um, but to USA's credit. They've looked pretty yeah. good, actually, for for a makeup of a different guys. Some that are not even NHL players, you know, with uh, you know, with some on their roster. How about Nick Perbix has looked really, really good alongside yeah. Dylan Sandberg. So you know, it's kind of nice to see a youth infusion with Team USA. I think that's helped out quite a bit. But yeah, just not Canada's year. 
Yeah, well, I guess we're going to find out. I mean, they're still in the big dance. So, I, you know, it's funny. We talk about them being second in their grouping like it's a failure, which eh, I guess we'll see. Uh, Canada has not been without controversy, though. I think the first one we want to talk about, uh, the Adam Fantilli hit the other day. Um, That was a game ejection. I thought that hit was clean. I I don't know if you had a chance to see that. I did see that. I wasn't a fan of that call. Um, Yeah, I agree. Like... It, 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 I don't know if it was the fact that he had his head down and they maybe thought it was a blind side hit, but yeah. even then it was players coming together. It wasn't chest. Like yeah. chest. I, I didn't understand that call. You kind of wonder yeah. when we talk to, you know, some other referee things in the past, to, you know, what the referee may have saw from his vantage point, but at least from ours, it looked like a perfectly fine and legal hit to me. Yeah, well, wasn't legal in any definition of the game ever. Uh, Joey Valeno uh, stepping yeah. on the floor Minnesota Wild for Nino Niederreiter stomping on the back of his legs. A five-game ban that stays in international play for as long as he plays in tournaments. So if they don't complete all five games in the tournament, he will have Still to serve it, serve it for any international competition. I mean, this was just Bush League. I mean, there's no... There's uh, there's trying to take your skate off and try to stab somebody. There's leaving your skate on and trying to stab somebody. Yeah. Uh, Yikes. I mean, and I wonder if he would argue like, oh, I was just trying to get foot positioning and I didn't. But no, when you watch the video, it looked to be clear intent on top of the skate. It's it's just not a natural hockey movement in any sense of the word. No. So and and then he tried to also beyond that, he tried to mix it up with Nino Nieder, who was, you know, rightfully incensed by the play. And uh, he tried to essentially, in my eyes, kind of flop towards the end and try to draw like a call on Nieder Ryder. But uh, good on the double IHF for seeing that for, you know, recognizing that that's a dangerous play. That can be yeah. a career ending injury. And and that's why he was a guy who, you know, had the skill to be a higher draft pick than where he was drafted a couple of years ago. And part of that was things like this, where you look at his character and said, Hmm, what's going on hmm. here? Yeah. Well, yeah. unfortunately yeah, no. not uh, doing himself any favors with that uh, latest play. Yeah, it's not the Detroit Red Wings watching intently, wondering what they have on their hands there or on their feet, I guess. Um, <laughs> with that being said, we are going to walk on over or mosey on over or something uh, to our extra ice session where who else may be walking, but none other than the Arizona Coyotes. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session, episode 163. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson here, and we are talking about Tempe and Arizona. Um, this is interesting, Nick. Uh, long, <laughs> well, I, you know, they're like the opposite of the Florida Panthers, where we we shouldn't be surprised, but we keep getting surprised. They're like the yeah. opposite, where like we shouldn't be disappointed, but we keep getting disappointed. Um, I. For starters, of course, if you haven't heard, the Arizona Coyotes, Tempe bid, the residents of Tempe voting for that brand new arena, brand new essentially district. Uh, that would be a great facility for hotels, uh, you know, social events, things like that. Um, living spaces, yeah. Um, didn't go through. Uh, the residents voted against it here. Now, the first thing that was striking to me about this, Nick, one, it was overwhelmingly no. Number two, margin. Yep. number two, most of the voters were a bit older or had never been to a Coyotes game, didn't have an interest in the Coyotes, didn't really understand necessarily what they were voting even in some cases. And you go back to point number three, uh, 
the Coyotes spent less than $250,000 in PR marketing and campaigning for this specific event. I suppose when you owe Gila River Arena a couple million, it's hard to recuperate that. But uh, what a miss. What a miss for the oh. National Hockey League in Arizona. I mean, like, you had, <sighs> one, you had one job, did you not? Like, It's more than that, though. Um, this is more complex than meets the surface. No one, we've, I've talked about this before with the Coyotes organization and that same source that had told me uh, essentially that, you know, about Logan Cooley also had mentioned that there was contrary to what's being reported that the city council was confident months ago that this was likely going to get shot down, which is interesting. And I'm not fully sold on that. I'm not going to lie to you, but what's for, for the sake of pretend because Bobby Boucher likes this. Um, let's just pretend that that is indeed true. It explains the massive funding and money spent on the campaign. It also would explain why we've said this all along. This whole process could have been avoided. In fact, Daniel Wallach, who's actually a renowned sports lawyer, hmm. who's actually very well in tune with a lot of the sports betting legislation that's been around the United States. I said this before. This did not have to go from what we understand to a public vote. And it did because the Coyotes wouldn't upfront pay th- more than uh, just a little bit more than thirty million, an already a, a proposition that was well into above a billion dollars, yeah. to essentially guarantee the landfill cleanup. On top of that, mm-hmm. we know the history of, of the Coyotes in terms of its ownership, past and present. The fact that also timing wise, and I think I touched on this before, that the tax bill with Glendale and then that sort of dirty water came out not that long ago. So Marowalo, who is a billionaire, couldn't pay a simple tax slash rent at his own arena and also reportedly in Tucson in their American Hockey League franchise. So the voters, and this was the the sort of the, the vote no campaign, which is they say this is all a privately funding thing, but you got to remember there's got to be infrastructure that's fixed. So this is roads and potentially sidewalks and that will fall on taxpayers. On top of that, Marowalo wasn't even paying his tax or his rent. And do you think for like one moment you trust this guy that he's going to follow through on this proposal? That right. was it. That was the that was the narrative that was being thrown against it. I mentioned that two weeks ago before the vote. I said, listen, I want this to pass, but there's a very loud voice in opposition to this, some of which a lot of it is misinformation, but they had – all the money, the over $2 million spent to defeat this, and they did it. Here's the here's the other side of this. This was going to happen no matter what. Mm. What this is, is now the league, meaning the NHL, wasn't the bad guy. They didn't want to say no. Tempe, in a really rare sense, well, I shouldn't say rare, but real sense, could have voted this through. Yeah, their council unanimously voted to let the people decide, basically, which they could have made the decision themselves, but they let the people say, okay. But here's what you're missing. When they did a closed door vote with the council members to approve the whole thing, they did not have the votes to pass it. Passing the buck of the blame. Now, Tempe City Council can't be the guy that says we didn't approve it. Ultimately, went down to the people. Again, judging by the Coyotes slash the NHL, which very... I let's call it lazy, right? At the very last moments, brought down Gary Bettman, brought down Shane Doan a couple of big, but at that point, the 
vote no campaign down there was going on for weeks and months before them. You right. already had voters sway the other way long before they got mm-hmm. there. Yep. So to me, you talk about a big miss. I'm not sure there was a concerted effort really to keep this franchise here because what's let's talk about and the, the opportunity and, this and, presents. And, and that's where I go to is that was the miss is that there it wasn't even a you know it's like it's like you're drowning and you don't even you know ask for a life preserver kind of thing you know but what I, I mean think like, that was part of the plan that's what I'm getting to is now the residents themselves have put the NHL and this franchise in the worst day of limbo that it could be. Well, now within that, there's technically more opportunities here, right? Because now the league could theoretically, with a majority vote with the board of governors, meaning the other owners, force Marowello to sell, force his team to move Salt Lake, Houston, Casey, wherever, right? It's not going to Quebec City. Sorry, that's not happening. But what it does is it allows the NHL to essentially use more of a, shall we say, an iron fist type leverage to do something about it. And to me, Mullet Arena playing 23-24, I do think there's some truth to that. However, again, if the, the next 100 days are so important, I mentioned that earlier in the show, yeah. because at the end of the day, at the end, it just still wants to be in the Arizona market, which they do. They don't have much time to put something so, on the books. So that way they can at least say they're making an effort. I'm not sure it's ever going to happen. I really don't. So let's ask the flat out question because we love doing this on our show here. Nick. Percentage wise, what's the percentage Arizona stays in Arizona? 10%. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. Like I, like I think the straw has finally broken off the camel's back. Now, I guess the better question is because we've kind of preliminary had this discussion. I'm telling you, uh, you know, I have a favorite, um, you know, in terms of city that might be kind of off the wall a little bit, been a lot of talk about Houston, been a lot of talk about Atlanta. Is there not Atlanta? Tell you a, a destination. They're, they're not exactly out of the running though. I think that's fair to no. say. Uh, there's been a conversation where uh, the mayor uh, um, in Hartford is trying to get them to come back to Hartford in Connecticut, which it just won't happen. But uh, no, realistically, in your opinion, the NHL says, okay, the NHL is no longer viable in Arizona right now, Mm -hmm. where are they going in your mind? They're going to Houston. And let me tell you why it's not simply because it's been linked for months. Let's talk about NHL and its pursuit, maybe more in terms of greed of money, right? Arizona and Houston, the TV markets are essentially a wash. That is actually a big factor here because Salt Lake is not that high. If you're ESPN, if you're TNT, your local television markets, and you all of a sudden take your big numbers that you sold the SPN and TNT, that this is the audience that you are bidding for and take away a significant chunk of the viewing audience, that hurts the NHL's bottom line in terms of revenue for next year. It does. Yes, Salt Lake has what seems to be a willing owner that wants to bring NHL hockey to Salt Lake, and I support that. The problem is the right move for the NHL to lessen the blow on their whole picture. Because again, the owners, the board of governors also have a say in this. Remember, part of this whole Mold Arena sort of temporary home has been willing to kind of take some losses here if something can get built. Right. right now, that's not happening. So how can you stop the bleeding as much as you can? You go back to Houston. Speaking of Atlanta, I think Atlanta will be an expansion. And here's the other thought. 
and I want to ask you this, Noah. Could you re-expand to Arizona, and would that be the smartest? And here's why I asked the question. I think with the indictment on the Coyotes, and not necessarily, you know, it, and again, I feel bad for the fans. I think maybe we need to make sure we, we talk about that. The fans, there is a loyal group of fans in Arizona. There really yeah. is. But they've been mismanaged for the longest time. The yeah, money issues, been terrible. The NHL, mind you, has taken over the franchise on multiple occasions. And I think more importantly, what this vote signified was, I think the residents see this franchise as a just a a box of damaged goods that can't be repaired. So hear me out here. You move them to Houston. They're still in the Western Conference, still in the Central. Easiest one to do. I You can't move them to Atlanta because then you create an offset in the conference, and then you're asking Detroit or somebody else to go back to the West. That ain't happening. So anything in the Eastern Conference to me is out of the question. It is. It's not as it's not as simple as you think. You still haven't named my pick, so I'm just waiting. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so here's what you do, though: you could expand two teams, Atlanta, and you could go back to Arizona as a fresh, brand new expansion in seven or eight years. And Salt Lake is to me more six or seven years down the road because here's what's happening: what's Salt Lake trying to do? They're bidding for the Winter Olympics in a couple of years, yeah. where they'll be building a more state-of-the-art arena that will be more than fourteen thousand seats. 14,000 is even below Winnipeg, which is the lowest attendance, I believe, in the league. And that's below, I think the minimum should be 15,000, if I recall. So there it is. It's going to be Houston. It's the best way for the NHL to essentially put a Band-Aid on it. And then they'll revisit Arizona, which I know. And honestly, they have to be in Arizona. The NHL has to be in Arizona because of that market size. They really, really do. But I just kind of feel like the way that this franchise has just sort of walked around and drug itself and is kind of bleeding on the tarmac. Mm-hmm. I think they, they, they need to cut their losses and reapproach Arizona as we have a new owner. It's a brand new franchise. We're starting fresh where they don't have the baggage of past overdue bills or this guy that really wants to build um, a sports book on top of the arena. So does he really want the coyotes? Does he really just want a sports book? Right? right. So, that's my theory. I missed some from you. I know I did. So what's it's not and it's not Hartford. You know, it's interesting. One of the most interesting ones that I saw actually was Milwaukee, which would be an intriguing thought on a variety of reasons. It does, doesn't make sense to me, but I thought it was intriguing. Um, to me, I, I mean, Houston is a very viable pick. I think people are sleeping on this number next 17,544. That is the capacity. What did you say? At five serve, right? Well, that is the capacity of T-Mobile Center in Kansas City, Missouri. And that is an NHL-ready, tailor-made arena that doesn't essentially have an occupant that would be larger than the NHL right now in order to host that. And I think one of the things with Houston is you're basically asking the Rockets, you know, are you willing to share this space with us? And the Rockets can simply say, no, we're not. We don't, we don't have interest in that. And I think with Kansas city, you have, it's about a two and a half hour drive proximity. If I remember right, my cousins live in Casey. So I should know this a lot better than I do. Uh, um, but a short jaunt essentially to St. Louis still in the central division. And you have no contestants for T-Mobile center, you know, the question is, can you make hockey viable in Kansas City? It's failed once before back in the 70s, early 80s. It's been a while, you know, and things change, obviously. 
I think they are an underrated pick on this board here. I don't disagree that Houston is, you know, probably been the front runner for the variety of reasons that you mentioned, keeping things in the central. But I think Kansas City is more of a sleeper pick than people want to give it credit for. And this building, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to look at T-Mobile Center. It's beautiful. It's a sleeper pick um, because, again, it comes down to market size. That's what the NHL wants and partly why they have fought to keep this team in Arizona to begin with, right? Uh, People forget that. It's, I mean, the last time the Coyotes were, in hindsight, right, a viable franchise was, what, 2010? 2012. 2012. Yeah. It's, but I mean, if you can, if you can generate interest like the Kansas City Chiefs have, even remote, different sport, remote, different remote fractions of it. I'm telling you, people are crazy about sports in Kansas City. Look how many people go to Royals games and the Royals suck, man. Like, I get that. Yeah, uh, like, but you're also bringing a team that also do, does kind of suck right now. And what's, Let's be honest, yeah. right? Besides, and I think even more damning is Logan Cooley. We talked about him earlier, right? You have the appearance of high-end prospects that are not willing to sign with this franchise because it's up in the air right now. Yeah, but again, I, I think even regardless of the state of the franchise, which you can make an argument Columbus, you know, you can make the argument with a lot of teams that are struggling right now. I think if you move them to a new location in an NHL-ready building where primarily that's kind of your building, you look at a guy like Logan Cooley a year down the road and say, hey, we're playing in this state-of-the-art arena, fresh start in Kansas City. Is that not enticing for a guy like that? It, you know, if you can swing the market. like It is, but again, like it's not Logan Cooley's game to call, right? And I think Logan yeah. Cooley would sign wherever this franchise ends up is if he has the confidence that this team is slash franchise is stable, right? Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. I don't think it could care less if it ends up in KC or Salt Lake or in Houston and hell. Let's just say that the city of Mesa comes through and all of a sudden this team is still in Arizona. It's, it's still technically yeah. possible. It's, it's mm-hmm. very low on the pro, you know, on the probability scale, but it's not out of the question. That's really what this comes down to is that they just want, and when I say they, I mean prospects like Cooley want to see this franchise have a concrete foundation, feel like money issues are a thing of the past. They've got a building. They're going to generate their own revenue. That's why the downtown Phoenix going back to the Suns arena isn't viable because they would be a tenant. They were losing revenue in their first early years from the move from Winnipeg. Um, again, there's problems with other uh, supposed uh, tribal land that's within Tempe as well. And the one difference in Mesa is this sort of like mall which has been shut down for that's private land so if they were to go to this and make this one happen that would not require a public vote because it's private land there's plenty of infrastructure there so is that sort of the hail mary maybe but again it's got to be some at some point in the next 100 days noah there has to be something on the table whether it's in arizona or what's going to happen is we're going to hear about Okay, we've now come up with two to three finalists to move the team. We're going to hear that the next 100 days. It's going to move quick. You know, between Ottawa, Toronto, and Arizona, the NHL, well, not Toronto, you know, Toronto on a personal side, but uh, NHL is in kind of a tumultuous position a little bit here, you know, just in the next couple of months where you're going to really just see like 
what the next direction is for a lot of well, both franchises and markets. You I know, wouldn't like, put Ottawa in the same category because, yeah, Eugene Melnick and there's plenty of, shall we say, storylines of his ownership, but at least it was sort of stable in a sense, right? You, you can argue that he didn't want to spend money on it. That's one thing, but he had the dollars and cents. Um, that's changing, right? But there's no question. You, you could certainly qualify with the Arizona situation is probably allowing the Ottawa Senators group slash the NHL to look at these four groups that are bidding for that carefully to make sure that they don't have a second one on their hands, right? I think that's fair. But to me, they're not tumultuous. What's tumultuous is, and again, Arizona has been just, you know, that freaking parasite you just can't get rid of, right? Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating. And again, I think that's really what came down to the vote is they see this team as just uh, people with damaged goods that they just can't fix. And I don't know, right? I don't know what the future holds. I, I still think we both agree that relocation, I think now that the own residents have voted against it, whether they were well-informed on a truthful level or not, at the end of the day, the vote's the vote. Um, there's much more limited options with this now being failed. Again, NHLPA, Apparently, some grievances. Bill Dale is denying it. I can tell you from other sources, those grievances were essentially told to be silent. They are a real thing. I can tell you that from up front. But here we are, right? You're in a spot where now something's got to move. And again, I'd say in the next 100 days, we're going to figure it out. Whether I, and, I, and, and honestly, you know, do you think if it's Arizona Mesa, it's probably the last ditch option at this point? Last ditch, last ditch. And I I just, I think the NHL is now at that point where they're like, okay, every party has spoken. This isn't working. We're time to go. We're on our way. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of time to go here, uh, the AHL, the Eastern Conference Finals and Western Conference Finals are underway, down to four teams as well for them. Uh, Hershey and Rochester getting ready to start their matchup uh, in se- a seven-game series. Both of those clubs sweeping their divisional finals on the other side, Coachella Valley and Milwaukee narrowly escaping their matchups against Texas and Calgary, respectively, in their five-game series. So two series that obviously keep an eye on as uh, we're down to four for the Calder Cup playoffs. As far as the NHL right now, I mean, Vegas rolling all over uh, Dallas right now, 4 nothing near the tail end of period number two. So I would imagine that series extends to 3 nothing as well. So, yeah, we might be into the yeah. Stanley Cup final sooner than we ever anticipated. But with that being said, for Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den.